0: All right, so if nobody else, we're going to read from Psalm 147 today, Psalm 147, Psalm 147 says, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the exiles of Israel, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our God and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him. Who put their hope in his unfailing love? Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. So this is the God we've come to worship. One thing I want to point out is it said that God delights in a certain type of person, someone who fears him, someone who basically does his will and does what what, uh, he calls us to do. This is the God we've come to worship today. So let's do that. Before we get into some songs, let's uh, pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together.
1: A love that's never failing is mighty to say set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Praise God.
2: You can be seated.
3: As we prepare to take communion together, um, is there anybody here that is not aware of these packets? That makes my job a little easier. <laughs> We all know that the wafer represents the body that was broken for us, the body of Christ that was broken for us, and the juice represents his blood that was poured out for us. It's a holy thing. It's a very holy thing. I would like to read a scripture with you this morning that the Lord really put on my heart. Um, A few months back, uh, I had the pleasure of being around one of my Emmaus brothers that brought to my attention was something I'll reveal to you in a minute. It's Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and 30 where Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now when I read this scripture I think about of course, I've researched a little bit about the yoke, and the yoke is actually two ox that are hooked together, so, but it's, a, it's done in a comfortable way where it doesn't harm you. We're not going to use animal since uh, we're not going to be you know, called an animal. But could you imagine having in your heart and your mindset and hooking yourself to Christ, and he's always right here, Working with you, going through life with you in every circumstance and everything. That's the picture that He's putting for us to understand that He wants to walk with us um, in everything. And so the the word that my brother spoke of, where it says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, the word light doesn't mean not heavy. I looked it up in the Greek, and it's pros, P-R-O-S. It means radiant, a source of light. And I never knew that. I always thought it was not heavy. But the illumination of the Lord is his light shining on every imperfection within us, which brings to mind, work out your own salvation, because he shows us these things, and it's our responsibility to bring before him, confess them, repent of them, don't stumble around, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, so it just really opened my eyes to a lot, and I, just, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to share that this morning. Um, the other scripture that, that I would like to read is from 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. There's a lot, a lot right there, you know, denying self and um, we're in this world, but not of this world. All these things come to my mind that I've read in the past that we've been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. And, of course, all of us are in different areas in our walk and um, different stages, and that's between you and your king. Um, But being around other believers definitely helps us and encourages us to move forward. Don't get complacent. Don't get happy where you are. That's a very dangerous thing. We need to be moving forward. All We all have room to grow, right? Amen. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your perfect plan of salvation, Father, that you love us so much that you sent your only begotten son to pay the price for our sins. Him who is sinless became sin. We thank you and you praise you, Father. We pray that you give us a better understanding of uh, your desires for us, your will for us, Lord God, we, we just lift up your name and give you all the glory for nothing is good other than you, Father. We know that if your spirit was not on this earth, it would be in total chaos, Father. But you are the only thing that is good. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you, Father. Amen.
2: Now is the time in the service for announcements. First, we have the Matthew 25 Ministries pill bottle donations. Um, In the foyer, you'll see a bin for collection of empty plastic pill bottles. Um, They use them locally and abroad. We are also collecting used ink cartridges. They can be yours, your neighbors, your friends, your families, or from work. Um, They help to reduce office supply costs here at the church. Food pantry, closed closet is every Thursday from 5 to 7 Donations can be dropped off here. at The church, if anyone wants to um, donate anything, uh, there's a list there of most frequently needed items. Refit free dance fitness class for men and women, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6.30 to 7.30. If you have any questions, you can contact Kristen Nay. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry. It's the fourth Sunday of the month, so next Sunday, which I think is the 28th. Um, At 2, we will have service here, and then we will have um, a luncheon. We always spend time together in fellowship to get to know each other a little bit more, pray and prepare before we go over to uh, Mellon Ridge. HCC Weekly Community Cookout, next Saturday is the last Saturday that we will be doing that for the summer. We're serving currently at Fay Gardens. We meet here at Heartland at 1 o'clock to prepare and um, serve in the community. Empty Nestor's Bible Study. Um, there's a new book they're working to look at 10 Words to Live By, based on the Ten Commandments. They're going to resume September 1st, Thursdays at 10 a.m. at Ruth Liming's house. Um, contact Sharon Ponchat Today is the last day that she needs to know if you want to join them so she can get books, and there's no charge for the book. <clears throat> Breakfast is better when we eat together. Breakfast Fellowship is the first Sunday of the month at 9.30 a.m. Carol Hankins is in charge of that. If at some point you'd like to bring something in, just let her know. Ties and offerings can be given in person. There's an offering box in the back of the sanctuary as well as online. And our weekly budget is listed there. Um, ministries that you support through the giving here at Heartland go to these, these items and beyond.
0: Colossians 1:12 to 14. we can do that. Colossians 112 through 14. So when you find out in your Bible we, uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. Colossians 1:12 to14. And the title of today's teaching is, "Give joyful thanks to the Father. Give joyful thanks to the Father." In Colossians one twelve to fourteen the scripture say, Keep giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You may be seated. A global pandemic, a country in chaos. Gargantuan gas prices, a tornado that tore through our town, men breaking all kinds of records in women's sports, an uncertain future in this world for all of us. You know, those are very real uh, issues that we all see playing out all around us. And all those things have something in common. You and I cannot control any of those things. Now, we can and we must pray, and we must do our best to be salt and light in a tasteless and dark world. But this world in its present form is not our home, if we're followers of Christ, if we're children of God. And if we focus on all the problems we see in the world, well, we're likely to find ourselves angry, anxious, and apprehensive. So we all need a different focus. In today's passage, Paul reminds God's people what kingdom we're a part of. And he encourages God's people to focus on something other than the problems that plague our world. Paul reminds us of one of the most important aspects of the Christian life, something Paul talks about over and over in his letter, something the scriptures talk about over and over, something we talked about a couple weeks back. And this is something that would change us if we constantly engage in it. Paul urges God's people to give joyful thanks to the Father. Who is the Father. the, The Father is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we've been born again, then He's our God and Father too. And Paul reminds us of at least four reasons we should give joyful thanks to the Father. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for gathering us here today to worship You and to hear Your voice through Your Word. Would help us to understand the truth and above all give us grace to obey the truth as we put your word into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so the first reason we should give joyful thanks to the Father is the Father qualifies his saints for the kingdom of light. Notice in Colossians 1.12, Paul says, Keep giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. The Greek word behind the word qualified means to make strong, to make sufficient, to make suitable for something. The Paul says we should keep giving joyful thanks to the Father because the Father makes his saints strong, sufficient, and suitable to share in an inheritance in the kingdom of light. Now, there are many things in this life we may not be qualified for. Things we'll not be strong enough for or have sufficient skills for or be suitable for. For example, I'll never be qualified to do brain surgery. I'll never be qualified to fix your roof. And I'll never be qualified to give anyone tips on how to keep from going bald. (laughs) I'm not qualified for those and many other things. But one thing I know for certain, one thing I'm sure that I'm qualified for, I'm qualified to inherit the glorious riches of the kingdom of light. And why am I qualified for this? Well, because of what my God and Father has done for me, And what he is now doing in me and through me. The grace of the Father qualifies me for the kingdom of light. And the grace of the Father qualifies everyone who is sanctified by God's grace for the kingdom of light. As Paul says to the elders in Ephesus in Acts 20, 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. Which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God's grace changes us from sinners to saints. God's grace unites us with Christ and makes us a holy people who live holy lives through the power of a holy God. And because God's grace makes us saints, we're then qualified to receive an inheritance among holy people in a holy kingdom made for holy people. Our earthly minds cannot even begin to comprehend the riches that God has prepared for us in the kingdom of light. In Colossians 1.13, Paul calls it the kingdom of the Son that God loves. It's a glorious kingdom that will one day fill the earth with the glory of God. And one of the most marvelous truths about this kingdom is all the saints will co-inherit this kingdom with Christ. We will rule this kingdom or rule in this kingdom with Christ in the age to come. Listen to what Paul says about this in Romans 8.17. He says, Now, if we are children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And again, in 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. God's children will co-inherit all things with the Lord Jesus. We will share in the glory of the Lord Jesus. We will reign with the Lord Jesus. And this is one reason why when I pray with my kids at night, I tell them this. I say, you're destined for greatness because you're one of God's kids. You're destined for greatness because you're one of God's kids. Now, why do I say that? Well, because that's what the scriptures teach us if we're children of God. That God's children are destined for greatness because we're destined to inherit all things with our Lord Jesus Christ. But let's make sure that we understand the condition attached to that promise. That God's children are destined to share in Christ's glory, but only if we share in the sufferings of Christ. As throughout the, the rest of the scriptures, the sufferings come before the glory. That's the way it happened with Christ too. He had to suffer and then be taken into his glory. So we've got to start and finish this race to inherit the kingdom that God has prepared for his children. And the good news is we're able to do that because God's grace qualifies us to do that. God's grace qualifies us for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light, and we're able to live the life he wants us to live through his grace. So let's keep our focus on that kingdom. Let's focus on the glorious inheritance God promises his saints in the kingdom of light. Let's keep giving joyful thanks to the Father because he qualifies his saints for the kingdom of light. Let's also give joyful thanks to the Father for a second reason. The Father rescues his saints from the kingdom of darkness. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Now, all of humanity is under the dominion, under the control of powerful enemies. And humanity's enemies are not what they may seem, not enemies that we can see. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other humans. Our struggle is against spiritual creatures. It's against the unseen principalities and powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as John says in 1 John five nineteen, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You want to know why the world is so evil? Because the world is under control of the evil one. See, all of humanity outside of Christ is under the dominion of darkness under the control of the evil one in the kingdom of darkness. So the world system is ruled by Satan, who has taken humanity captive to do his will. But how did humanity get here? What's a story you might have heard before? So the first humans, Adam and Eve, were created in God's image to have close fellowship with God. But they disobeyed God. And as a result of their disobedience, all kinds of bad things happened. They were separated from God. God's image in them was soiled. They surrendered their lives to their enemies, made themselves enemies of God by their evil behavior, and became captives to sin and Satan. And since then, all of humanity has been following in their footsteps. Instead of choosing to serve God and live as God commands, humanity chooses to disobey God's commands. We separate ourselves from God. We surrender our lives to our enemies. We make ourselves enemies of God by our evil behavior and become slaves of sin and Satan. We've all given ourselves over to the spirit of Satan who is now at work in the disobedience. And Satan is so clever that he convinces us that by disobeying God, we gain freedom. He tells us all these rules that we read in the scriptures, that's just a way to keep people in bondage, that we're better off without God. But nothing could be further from the truth. When we disobey God, we separate ourselves from the source of true and abundant life and every good thing. And we find ourselves staggering around in the kingdom of darkness, being steered down a road that eventually ends in death and destruction, shut out from the glorious light of the kingdom of God. And the sad thing is, once we find ourselves in that state, we have no strength to free ourselves from the grip of our enemies. So at one time, we all find ourselves taken captive by Satan to do his will. So we need someone to save us. We need someone who is stronger than us, stronger than sin, stronger than Satan, stronger than our enemies. We need someone to rescue us from the dominion of darkness. And that someone came when God's divine son became a human human being and dwelt among us. So without diminishing his divine nature, God's son took on human nature. He became one of us when he was incarnated. And all that word means is he took on flesh, incarnated. He took flesh. Jesus united his divinity with humanity and entered the kingdom of darkness to rescue humanity out of the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus did this in a way that nobody was expecting. Not even Satan himself was expecting this. Though the Son of God triumphed over Satan, disarmed him and made a spectacle of the powers of darkness, not by fighting, but by surrender. The sinless son of God surrendered his body to those who beat him and crucified him. He surrendered his life as an offering to crush Satan's head and destroy all the works of the devil. The son of God's victory over humanity's spiritual enemies came through the cross. Satan and all the forces of evil were defeated through the cross of God's son. But God's son also came to defeat one of humanity's other enemies. Jesus did not stay dead. The death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. So three days after the lifeless body of God's son was laid in a tomb, the same Jesus who defeated sin and Satan through his cross, that same Jesus defeated death through his resurrection. And through his incarnation, his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension to the throne of God, Jesus became the first of a new humanity who are now reunited with God and are being restored to the image of God. Because of what God's Son did, all of humanity can be rescued from the kingdom of darkness. We can be rescued from enslavement to our enemies and become a part of this new humanity. And how do we do that? It was by surrendering our lives to the one who surrendered his life for us. By turning our backs on Satan, by renouncing the lives that we lived in the kingdom of darkness, and by being united to God's Son in His death and resurrection through baptism. Through our union with God's Son, the Father rescues His saints from the kingdom of darkness. And the Father brings us into a better kingdom. And that's the third reason we should give joyful thanks to the Father. The Father relocates His saints to the kingdom of His Son. So Colossians 1:13 Paul says the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Now the Greek word translated brought into means to transfer or to move from one location to another. So when we hear and respond to the good news of the kingdom of light when we turn away from Satan and renounce our lives in the kingdom of darkness when we surrender our lives to King Jesus, when we're united with Jesus in baptism and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, well, something miraculous happens. Our citizenship changes. We become a new person. We're relocated to a new kingdom. So in the church, we become citizens of the kingdom of the Son that God loves. But this good news, it gets even better. When the Father relocates us to the kingdom of light, we're, not, we're more than just citizens in this kingdom. Listen to Peter's statement about the saints in 1 Peter 2.9. Peter says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. To Notice these four phrases. God's saints are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. Let's burn those phrases into our minds and into our hearts because we need a more exalted view of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a part of his church. Let's ask God to help us understand this is who we are in Christ. This is what we're called to in the kingdom of God's Son. Now, under the Old Covenant, those four phrases were applied to national Israel. The Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession. But under the New Covenant, those phrases now apply to anyone who becomes a part of the church. And that's exactly who Peter's writing to. It's it's, uh, telling that he's writing to Gentiles who had become a part of the church because he applies this language that was only applied to Israel in the Old Testament to the people in the church. See, in the church, both Jews and Gentiles become a part of the Israel of God, as Paul says in Galatians 6, 14 through 16. He says, "...may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation." Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. Paul's point here is this. What identified a person as a Jew and made a person a part of Israel under the old covenant means absolutely nothing since Jesus came. Why is this? Well, Because those were a part of the old creation, the old world, the old humanity, and that humanity was crucified with Christ. Jesus came to create a a new humanity in himself. And by being united with Christ, anyone from any nation can become a part of this new humanity, this Israel of God, when we're in the body of Christ. So where are we united with Christ? Well, we're united with Christ in the church. In the church, we become a part of the new human race in Christ's body. And this new race is a holy race. It's a royal priesthood a kingdom of priests for God and God's special possession. We were created in Christ to proclaim the praises of our God and Father. So God the Father calls us and rescues us out of the kingdom of darkness to relocate us into the wonderful, marvelous, glorious kingdom of light through his Son. And in that kingdom, God showers his saints with his grace his love, his mercy, his blessings, so that we can live as citizens of God's kingdom and become like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is what I mean when I say we need a more exalted view of what it means to be a Christian. We are totally different people when we become a part of Christ's body. Now, that's not the Christianity we've been taught for the last 50, whatever. People don't teach us that anymore. See, Christianity today, for most of us, is... It's about getting out of hell. That's all we're concerned about, right? The Lord will get you out of hell. That's all we're, it's not, it's not at all what the scriptures are about. It's about us becoming what God created us to be in Christ, which means he wants us to be like Christ, which is why Christ united his divine nature with human nature so that we can become like God through him. And God does that by bringing us out of the kingdom of the darkness, relocating us into the kingdom of his Son. So let's give joyful thanks to the Father because he relocates his saints to the kingdom of his Son. And let's also give joyful thanks to the Father for a fourth and final reason. The Father redeems his saints through the blood of his Son. In Colossians 1.14, Paul speaks of God's Son as the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, other translations here say that God's Son is the one in whom we have redemption through his blood. And it's very concerning to a lot of people that the NIV and most modern translations don't have the words through his blood in Colossians. And sadly, I still hear, hear ill-informed people, and I used to be one of these people, ill-informed people, scare God's saints and slander the NIV translators and other translators claiming that they took words out of the Bible. Well, but the reason the NIV and other translations don't have the words through his blood in Colossians Is not some sinister scheme to take things out of God's Word. Though those words are not in the NIV in Colossians because of what is known as a textual variant. Now, you might find this hard to believe, but the New Testament did not fall from the sky in a giant print red letter edition with black letter binding written in King James English. Now, the New Testament was not written in English. It was written in Greek. And the thing is, we don't have any of those original writings. These are also called the original autographs. We don't have any of those. What we do have are thousands and thousands of Greek copies of the originals. And some of those Greek copies have different readings than other Greek copies of the same scripture. These variants include different spellings of names and places, different word order, and addition or omission of certain words. One reason these variants exist is because of copying errors. People copy stuff, they make a mistake. And another reason brings us back to Colossians 1.14. Now, most textual scholars agree it's likely that a copyist added the words through his blood to later copies of Colossians. But why would someone add those words if they were not in Paul's original letter? Well, the copyist had likely also copied Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And look what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.7. Paul says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now notice those words are identical to the words in Colossians 1.14, with the addition of the words, through his blood. So the copyist of Colossians likely added the words through his blood to later copies of Colossians because that's what he was used to seeing in Ephesians. Now, having said all that, whether the words through his blood were originally in Colossians or not, it's not really that important because we know what Paul means in Colossians by reading Ephesians. So in Paul's understanding, the Father redeems his saints through the blood of his Son. And we can learn that truth no matter what translation we read, if we read or listen to the whole New Testament, which is something we should all be doing anyway. We need to become people of the book, not text people who can proof text everything. That's not good. We need to know the whole book so that we can have an understanding of all of it. Now, I want you to look over at the person next to you. Look over at them. And if you notice that they've fallen asleep during that explanation about textual variants, just lean over to him now and say, he's done talking about the textual variants now. So back to what Paul teaches about redemption. Right? Paul teaches that the Father redeems his saints through the blood of his Son. But to be redeemed, it means to be released from slavery to someone or something. And this release is based on a ransom price that was paid. So Paul's saying that the Son of God paid the ransom price to release us from slavery, and the price that Jesus paid was his blood. And Paul goes on to explain further what the shed blood of Jesus redeems or releases us from. Colossians 1.14, Paul says redemption is the forgiveness of sins. Now, the Greek word behind forgiveness here is better translated as freedom. And we see it translated that way two times in Luke 4.18. There, Jesus read these words from the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Jesus came to give freedom to the prisoners who were held captive and oppressed by sin and Satan. And this is what Paul means in Colossians 1.14. Jesus paid the ransom price to free us from slavery to sin and Satan, to free us from the sinful chains of our old life. The price Jesus paid for our ransom was his blood. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And as John says in Revelation 1.5, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So Jesus redeemed us, he purchased us with his blood so that we could be freed from the sinful, empty way of life that we all once lived in the kingdom of darkness. And Eugene Peterson brings out this meaning in the message translation of Colossians 1.14. And I'm not recommending the, tra- the message, by the way. There's just certain things that he says, puts them certain ways. That, and this is, one, this, is, this is a good way he puts it right here. Colossians 1.14, he says this, the son got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. You know, if we would grasp and live in light of this one truth, our lives would be so different. Our lives would be so much more fruitful for the kingdom of God. And the modern church could turn the world upside down just like the early church did. We need to live in light of the truth that when we're in Christ, when we're in the kingdom of God's son, when we've been born again, we're a part of a new creation where we're freed from our sins and free to live as God created us to live in Christ. Our guilt is gone. Our debt is paid. The chains of sin addiction are broken. And we're free to run in the path of God's commands and obey God through the power of God's grace. Jesus rescued us out of the pit we were in. He got rid of our sins so that we're not doomed to keep repeating the same sins over and over. And what this means is, Nobody should stay in the pit of sin addiction, because through the blood of Jesus, we're forgiven and freed from the penalty, the power, and the practice of sin. I think a lot of us just want to hear that first one. We're freed from the penalty. I'm forgiven. There's so much more than that. Why would God do everything he did just to leave us in that condition where we keep repeating this stuff over and over? That is not what Jesus did. Jesus came to take away our sins and free us from the penalty, the power, and the practice of sin. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got divine energy to live in righteousness and true holiness as we live by God's grace. And for that, we should all give joyful thanks to the Father. As we close, God's saints have so many reasons to give joyful thanks to the Father let me encourage you to start with the four we've talked about today. Let's give joyful thanks to the Father because He qualifies His saints for the kingdom of light. Give joyful thanks to the Father because He rescues us from the dominion of darkness. Give joyful thanks to the Father because He relocates us into the kingdom of His Son. And finally, give joyful thanks to the Father because He redeems us through the blood of His Son. For those and countless other reasons, today and every day, let's give joyful thanks to the Father. Let's all stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings you give us in your Son. Thank you for qualifying us for your kingdom, for rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness, relocating us into the kingdom of light, and redeeming us through the blood of your Son. Lord, help these truths to get deep into our hearts. Help us to live these truths out. Help us live today and always in light of the truths about who you've created us to be in Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. All right, so they're going to sing this song. Before they do that, I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name.
1: Still